Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as Pastor Janice mentioned, my name is Jeff. I am the assistant pastor, and we have been talking about this all morning, how it is like the biggest day of the year to the point where uh, between services, somebody was like, it's a big day today. And I'm just so used to hearing this. I was like, is, is my football team playing somebody that I don't know? Like, of course, it's a big deal. It is, it is a big, big deal. But let me just throw one more thing in the mix of all that. It is the third Sunday, and that means that if you are a college student or if you are college-aged, uh, you are invited to come over to my house after service. We've got this huge crock pot of white bean chicken chili. It's like the most food I've ever fit into a crock pot before. Uh, so come on over and eat lunch with us and hang out. That would be great. Well, this morning, we get to wrap up our sermon series uh, in the book of James. And if you don't know, we've been in, in sermons and in small groups this semester going through the book of James. This is our eighth week doing it in the sermon series, and your small group may or may not be done. Um, it may or may not still be rolling on strong into the holiday season, but that is where we have been. And today, we're going to go to James chapter 5. We're going to head toward the end of the book of James. We're not going to get all the way to the end of the book of James, but that is a-okay. So we're going to go to James 5. We're just going to read out of verses 7 through 11. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, you're welcome to follow along there. We always put it up on the screen so that you can follow along there as well. So this is what James writes in James 5, 7 through 11. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So this morning, we're just going to roll out of that. We're going to talk this morning about the long game. The long game. And um, James, the, the, the whole book of James is sometimes referred to as like the Proverbs of the New Testament because it doesn't necessarily, at least not obviously, have the same train of thought like uh, some of Paul's letters might have. But it just seems to be a little bit of wisdom sprinkled in here and some advice sprinkled over here and some correction sprinkled in here. And sometimes it seems like it's not necessarily running along a path, but there is a thread that runs throughout the entire book of James. If you look, if you just do a word search, you'll find the word steadfast or steadfastness um, five different times in James's letter. In our text alone this morning, the word patient or patience is used three different times. Paul, or uh, Paul, not Paul, James talks about being slow to speak or slow to anger. So the, the aroma, if you will, that the, that the book gives off is this, this message of slow down, don't be in a rush, don't be in a hurry, don't just react to everything, take it easy. Or if we want to put it uh, alliteratively, because that helps us remember things sometimes, right? If you want to be productive, be patient. If you want to be productive, be patient. 
So, um, at the time that I got started working on this message, uh, tomorrow will be two weeks ago, um, my favorite soccer team, Chelsea, was playing a, a pretty heated rival, Tottenham. We don't like Tottenham, uh, but you might, whatever. Uh, anyway, in, within the first five minutes of the game, uh, Chelsea was down 1-0 because this is the type of team that just comes at you and they just come at you in waves and never stop and we were trying to deal with the pressure and all that. So we, we go down early, about five minutes in, and then I think within the next 10 minutes, the other team scored again. Thankfully, it was ruled off for offside. Anyway, I could bore you with all the details and the minutiae of the game, but Suffice it to say, soccer is kind of an agonizing sport in that it is so long, and if you go down early, it feels like you are just dying for your team to tie it up sooner than later. Like, yes, there's plenty of time, but I want it to happen now. Anyway, long story short, through a series of events, my team ended up winning four to one because we kind of kept our heads about us, stuck with it, and things kind of went our way. But the principle holds in life. If you want to be productive, you want to be patient, okay? And let's just put this in perspective because if I can do this without sounding dismissive or, or patronizing, okay, he's not talking, James is not talking about a petty kind of patience, Okay, he's not talking about your food should have come out 20 minutes earlier at the restaurant. Okay, he's not talking about I got stuck in traffic and it took me 30 minutes to get where I'm going instead of 20. Okay, he's not talking about patience as in you have a toddler and you just want to wash their hands because you'll do it faster than they will, but they want to do it themselves because they're toddlers, right? That's not the kind of patience that we're talking about. Patience does matter in those sorts of situations, Right, But James's readers would have understood that he is specifically talking about having patience in trials. Okay? James tells his readers, be slow to anger. Okay? When things are going against you, don't just lash out in anger and in frustration because that's the easy route. We want to be patient. We want to not react that way. We want to not take the shortcut and, and, and honor the, the, the rich among us. So James, in, in James chapter 2, I believe it is, is telling them, don't show partiality. Don't give the best seat to the person in the best clothes. Okay, We ought to have no partiality when we hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, is what he says. Okay, Not just hear, but be patient enough to do. Okay, To hear, to, to, to open your Bible in the morning and read it, okay, Honestly, that's the easy part, okay? It's going and doing it. It's applying it when situations arise where you need to react in a godly way. That is the hard part. With all due respect, not so much opening up your Bible. It's living it out. That is the part that requires patience, okay? So for us, it looks like this. How am I going to be patient when people around me are flourishing while they're bending the rules and cheating and getting ahead? What am I going to do? How am I going to be patient when life is not going the way that I thought it would, that I hoped it would, that I wished it would, that I always dreamed that it would? Okay? How am I going to react? How am I going to be patient when people are mistreating me and it isn't fair? How am I going to be patient when I'm waiting for God to answer a prayer that by all accounts and for all intents and purposes, he ought to say yes to? Okay? I'm praying for a job. I'm praying for a child. I'm praying for healing. I'm praying for some sort of opportunity. I'm praying for connection. Why isn't God saying yes? These are the times that we need the most patience because when we lose our patience, we lose our head. When we lose our patience, we start trying to make things happen ourselves. You start thinking, well, maybe cheating is the way to go. I've been playing by the rules and they're not and they keep getting forward. So I'm just going to do that too. 
Okay, or maybe I should retaliate because these people are mistreating me, they're putting me down, and me taking the, the more passive route and just kind of taking it, it's not working out, so maybe I should just retaliate. Maybe I should just give up on God. Maybe I should just give up on prayer. Maybe I should stop waiting for a good man or woman to come along. Maybe I should just use porn, sleep with someone, scratch that itch however I want. Maybe I should just read my Bible but not actually go and do anything about it. Okay, we start looking for shortcuts because somewhere deep down, we believe that God is not actually going to come through. We lose our patience, so we lose our head, and when we lose our head, we lose the plot. But at James, as he encourages his readers to be patient, he tells them to consider the farmer who waits for the fruit of the earth, being patient until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, personally, I think that there is no group of people on the planet that displays more patience than farmers. I have so much respect for farmers because I could not be one, okay? My wife, some of you know, my wife has started um, growing flowers in the last couple of years. And here recently, a couple weeks ago, she planted 700 tulip bulbs um, in November, okay? Now, I don't know if you know this, she's not gonna see those until March, now, for me, it's like, why bother, right? Like, I don't, I, I like flowers. Anyway, that's beside the point. But she is doing work now for, for something that she is going to see in a max or a minimum of four months from now, okay? But see, this is the economy of the kingdom. This is the kind of timeline that God works on. We don't necessarily get immediate results. But, but farmers can't give up. They can't afford to, but they don't give up if they don't see a crop the next day, if they don't see a crop the next week, even if they don't see a crop the following year, if the crop fails for the entire year, the response is not to throw in the towel, close the farm, farming doesn't work anymore because it, messed, it, 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 it failed once, okay? They look for a solution. Was it pests that kept the, the, the crop from growing? Then I need to figure out a way to prevent the pests. Was the soil bad? I need to find some sort of way to improve the quality of the soil. They look for a solution. Okay, James tells his readers to establish your hearts. What does that mean exactly? I like that phrase, but as I read through scripture sometimes, there's a phrase and I just have to pause and say, what does that actually mean? Okay, when James uses that word, um, it's the word sterizo, S-T-E-R-I-Z-O, and it means to place firmly, to fix, or to make stable. And the image I get in my head when I think about that is of somebody who's, who's like making a film or something, or we actually have a couple cameras in the room, they're up on a tripod on either side, okay? What that does is it keeps you from having to carry that heavy thing all by yourself, and it keeps your angle stable. It keeps the camera from moving around too much. This is the kind of thing that we're doing. So as we look at this passage, the first thing um, was, was the idea that if you want to be uh, productive, you got to be patient. The second thing is just don't turn your head. Okay, establish your heart. Don't turn your head. Um, I don't know if any of you, I know some of you live in the Hidden Hills or Kensington uh, neighborhood off the bypass between Gates Honda and Gates Hondi. Okay, that's where I live. And um, every day I have to turn left out of that neighborhood. Okay, now if you've been in that neighborhood, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, but it is a little bit absurd how busy this intersection is, and it's gotten worse because across the bypass from us, there's all this new development, all this stuff going in. Now, let me just pause to say, the second best news that you're going to hear all day is that we are getting a light at Hidden Hills in Kensington, and we all said amen, okay? Um, so that's exciting. But anyway, I thought about this because as I was, I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about the idea of what is an example of something where 
where I try to take a shortcut to make something happen, but I get, I get in a worse position for taking the shortcut, okay? Here's the crazy thing about this, about this neighborhood, about this turn, okay? So you're leaving my neighborhood, okay? You've got oncoming traffic from the left. You've got oncoming traffic from the right, which is kind of stemming from like the highway going into town, and this traffic's kind of going out of town, okay? You've also got people who are trying to turn left into the development across the street, people who are trying to turn left into our neighborhood, and us who are trying to turn left out of our neighborhood, and those people who are trying to turn left out of their neighborhood, okay? It is a mess, and if you can't keep up with all that, that is proof that we need a light, okay? Anyway, that being said, here, here's where it gets interesting. I've lived in that neighborhood for something like three and a half years, okay? On numerous occasions, sometimes you just get a little bit impatient, okay? And, and you can turn right out of the neighborhood, and you can go up into the Save-A-Lot, and you can turn around, and Save-A-Lot has a light, so you can just turn left at the light, and then you can get on your merry way, okay? But every time I do that, I make a note, and I say, okay, who was I waiting on? Who was I behind? Who was trying to turn the other way? Who was trying to turn in? Because I'll bet you that by the time I get back to our intersection, they're gone. About 99 times out of 100, they're gone, okay? And it, you know, we could break it all down and say, well, if, the, if this traffic slows down enough for you to turn, and then this traffic slows down enough for you to turn, then it makes sense. You would have had an opportunity to turn back there, okay? But I'm not a traffic expert. Anyway, that being said, it, the idea is that if we stay steadfast, we will get the thing that we're going for. Okay, when we try too hard to make it happen ourselves, just to kind of keep up some sort of artificial sense of momentum, we, we either risk our own spiritual health and or we take a detour that actually takes us further than where we want to go. So it kind of looks like this. If we're going to translate that into the spiritual realm, into our lives as believers, it kind of looks like this. It means showing up to church and a small group even when you are not feeling like it even when you're not enjoying it, even when maybe you got into a small group and it's like, yeah, I just haven't really clicked with anybody. I haven't really connected with anybody. It's like, are you going to still show up? Are you still going to apply yourself to it? When you're tired and when you're weary, when you've had a long week, are you going to stick with it? It means saying the prayer as you think to, not just waiting for that moment or that part of the day where like, oh, I'm being spiritual now, so I'm going to say a prayer now, or I feel like praying now. It means cracking open your Bible even when you don't know where to read, even if you're not in the middle of a, of a Bible in a year plan, even if you don't know where you should start or where you should go or how much you should read for a given day. Do it anyway. It means that when you sin, you want to go to God, not run away from God, okay? There's a reason why these things are called disciplines, because they're not necessarily natural to us. They're not necessarily easy for us. I've been thinking lately about um, when people complain, about, it's usually around the time of a major sporting event. So like the NCAA championship, either in basketball or football or the Super Bowl or something like that. And these people who are like way more spiritual than me and definitely holier than you, they'll get up and they'll be like, I just don't understand why people can't get this excited about Jesus. Have you ever heard people say that? Right? Okay. Let me let you in on a secret. I get it. Okay. And let me explain what I mean. Okay. Um, so here, here's the thing. I, I mentioned earlier, I'm a big soccer fan. Every Saturday morning that there's Premier League on, I find a way to watch the Premier League on TV, okay? There is no shred of my inner being that does not want to turn the TV on, okay? I am not fighting anything to watch 
Premier League, okay? When you dress up and get all crazy for your Super Bowl, when you play in your party, when you go to the tailgate, whatever it is, there is no one who's stopping you from doing that, okay? There's no opposition. Now, in some parts of the world, there is real opposition if you support different teams, but we're not there, thankfully, okay? <clears throat> but the thing is, nothing's stopping you from doing that. But in terms of our relationship to Jesus and what we want to do to invest in our relationship with God, there is real and active spiritual opposition to that. I kind of think of it like this. Okay, if you see someone at the gym and they're running on the treadmill, they've set it to like 9 or 10 or however high it can go, and they're just booking it. They're killing it. They are so fast. That is unreal. How are they so fast? Okay, then you, you take that same person, put them outside, running on the ground into a 15-mile-an-hour headwind, and saying, well, I don't understand why they just can't run that fast. I saw them in the, in the gym. They were running fast. Okay, it's because treadmills help you along, and you have to actually go against the road and all that kind of stuff. Okay, that being said, the enemy of your soul wants to prevent you from investing in your relationship to Jesus. And so he will try to keep you from doing that. He'll say, just scroll on your phone. Don't bother opening your Bible. It's not worth your time. You don't, you don't even have enough time today. You ever deal with that? Where you only have like five or ten minutes before you got to get somewhere? It's like, I don't have enough time to give God my undivided attention and my devotion. Give him what you got. Okay? That's what he wants. He wants what you have. Okay, you might hear the temptation that like, listen, you don't have time to spend time in the Word. You got to get up early. You got to go to work early. You got to stay late. Your, your company's counting on you. Your boss is counting on you. Your family is counting on you. You have to work. You don't have time to do what you need to do in your relationship to Jesus. Or conversely, you worked hard this week. So don't go to church on Sunday. Sleep in. Don't bother going to small group. You've had a long week. You don't need to do that. You could get so much done if you would just stay home on Sunday. Do you relate to any of that? I do. I feel that kind of stuff all the time. Okay? But here's the deal. We want to do our life with God. And our lives are going to include a lot of things. They're going to include busyness, stillness, sadness, joy and celebration, hobbies, work, friends, family. It's going to involve all of those things. But the goal for us as Christian people is to go with God into all of those things. Not to compartmentalize and say, okay, I did my time with God. Now I'm doing my hobby. Do you believe that God can go with you hunting? Or God can go with you when you play a sport? Or God can be reading a book with you on your couch? Like, you, you're allowed to be a normal person and do normal things and just go with God. God. Now, the trick for us is that we don't want to have our heads turned by those things and make them the main thing in our lives. We want to actually go with God. We want to establish our hearts, as James would say, established in Christ, going in one direction, placing it firmly on Christ. And everything that we get along the way, all the fun that we get to have, all the joy we get to experience, all the stuff we get to enjoy, all that sort of thing. It's a small bonus, but everything we lose is a tiny, tiny, tiny price to pay in order that we would gain Christ, as Paul would say. The final thing that we're going to see in this passage of James is the idea that perseverance inspires, but shortcuts don't. Okay, James says, we consider blessed those who remained steadfast, not we consider those blessed, those who never had to suffer, or those who had a bump in the road, but then they quickly regained their balance. We consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Okay, quick results aren't inspiring. 
When we think of the things or we think of the people or the events that get us inspired, that that give us the strength and the motivation to go on, we don't think about people who tried for two days, got it, and never struggled again. Okay, we think of people who suffered and who stayed the course. In our modern context, we might think of some of the people like this. We might think of somebody like, even like Jackie Robinson. Now, I'm not trying to spiritualize these people. I'm just using using them as an example. Okay, Jackie Robinson experienced intense discrimination as he pioneered the sport of baseball for African Americans in the United States. Okay, people looked to him for inspiration. People, people like Martin Luther King Jr. He was jailed, he was monitored, he was sent threatening letters, but he didn't back down from the things that he believed and the causes that he championed. We think of folks like Jim Elliott who died sharing the gospel. I think he was 28 years old. He went to Ecuador. He had a young wife and a young daughter, and he died sharing the gospel. And people looked to him and even to his wife as a source of inspiration. In the Bible, we'd look at people like James, who, who James mentions Job, who we would look to. Job lost everything that he had. Job went through such intense suffering, he was told by his wife, you should just curse God and die. But he didn't do that. He stayed with God. He had questions. He had doubts. He wasn't enjoying himself, but he didn't quit. We think about folks like Esther, who risked her life to save the Jewish people from genocide. Folks like Daniel and his friends, who stuck up for what they believed, even facing the fiery furnace and the den of lions, and they never gave up on God. We look at the disciples, the early church, who suffered all sorts of horrifying deaths, being sawn in two, thrown into vats of oil, crucified upside down, torched, eaten by lions, slaughtered in the arena, and we admire the faith that those people displayed, okay? But here's the thing. There's a difference between admiring and going to do, and, and we're, at, we're at such a distance that it, it, it's almost like watching a movie, and we like to watch the movie. We like to hear the story. We like to see what God did through them, in them, at that time. We like to see the, the ways that God forgave people and restored people and healed people back then. We like to see the, way, the, the things that people had to endure, the suffering that they had to go through back then. But when it's our turn, <laughs> we don't want to be in the movie. And friends, I don't know if you realize this, but in Christ, we're kind of cast in the movie. God is still telling this story, and it is now, and we get to be a part of it as we are in Christ. We're surrounded, Scripture says, by a great cloud of witnesses. So let's not give up, because at the head of that cloud of witnesses is Jesus, who we look to as our example of patience and suffering, establishing his heart, and perseverance, and no quick results. Because the plan of the gospel is a plan of patience. See, the gospel begins in the garden with a man enjoying an unsevered relationship to God, but then sin entered the picture and separated us from God. Sin is why we fight. It's why we steal. It's why we lie. It's why we kill. It's why we rape. It's why we destroy. It's why we discriminate. It's why we do all the things that we do. Sin is the cancer that lives inside the human heart, and it destroys society by destroying the individuals within it. But at just the right time, God sent Jesus Christ into the world to save us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need a refresher on what we mean exactly by save, because save has a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. So Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin. 
In other words, the debt that we owed to God because of our sin, the debt that was far too much for us to pay because of the sin that we have done, the sin that we're doing, and the sin that we will do, Jesus paid that debt once and for all. But Jesus continually saves us from the power of sin. In other words, as as we are being renewed day by day and transformed and changed into the image of God, your appetite for sin is going to decrease bit by bit by bit because you are adopted into the family and God is giving you his nature. The old you is dead. The new you is alive in Christ and your very desires are changing. So he saves us from the power of sin continuously. And then one day finally, as we wait for this, we want to talk about patience, he will save us from the presence of sin. When God makes all things new, when there is a new heaven and a new earth and this old one is dead and gone, God will have saved us from the presence of sin. So all of those terrible things, all the war, all the deception, all the murder, all the stuff is going to be gone. And that's what we look forward to. So we look to Jesus. Jesus Christ, who for us gave his life willingly, no one took it from him, and he was beaten, spit upon, had a crown of thorns twisted into his head, whipped, made to carry a heavy cross, and had nails put through his hands and through his feet. He was patient in his suffering in the same way that James tells us to be patient in our suffering, even though it was unjust. We look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, if I can interject a phrase here that James uses, he established his heart for the joy set before him. That was his goal. That was his mission. He was going to do whatever it took to accomplish that mission. He, he endured the cross. He, he despised the shame. He didn't look to the left. He didn't look to the right. He died for his accusers, knowing that at the end of it all, with his shed blood, he would purchase you and he would purchase me. He would purchase his bride. And Jesus Christ, who took no shortcut to get out of his situation, who could have, but didn't, call down legions of angels, who didn't take himself off the cross, who didn't say, this hurts too much, I'm out, like, I'm out at this point. Jesus prayed in, in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. He said, Father, if there is any other way, please let this cup pass from me. And yet his attitude was this, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So because of Jesus, that is the kind of person that you can be, and that's the kind of person that I can be. And as we wrap up our series in James, our our, our small group study that we've titled Living Out Your Faith, we start to realize, we start to understand that living out our faith means we got to stay the course. We don't get to give up. We don't get to quit. We don't get to go this way. We don't get to go that way. We establish our hearts in Jesus Christ, and we go in his direction. So... Here's what I want to do at this point. We're going to sing a final song. Uh, those of you who are here often, you know what we're going to do. But I want to invite you to go ahead and stand up. <clears throat> we like to create an opportunity for you to receive some prayer. For you to be ministered to by an individual. But if I can just put it this way, by the Lord via an individual. Okay, we, we like to create space for that. And a place where you can receive prayer. And... Uh, in the first service, I tried to divvy it up. There's just this common, this, this common theme. We're talking about patience. We're talking about playing the long game. We're talking about not reacting to the things that we see around us. And so here's how I want to do this. If you find yourself impatient in your devotion, 
as in you have been trying this, this Christianity thing and you're just feeling like it's not working. I'm not getting the results that I want. I'm gonna go somewhere else. Can I just encourage you, please, please, please don't quit, okay? Because it's a long game. If that's you and you want God to meet you where you are, you just need something just to hang on to, something to know I'm not wasting my time. Can you come forward, maybe on this side of the stage, and we wanna pray for you if that's you. Some of you are impatient in your prayer. You've been praying for the same thing for a long time and you just feel like God is not doing it and he's not doing it and you pray and you pray and you pray and nothing seems to be changing. And you're just wondering, God, do you hear me? Are you asleep? Are you up to anything at all? In ways that I can't explain, his timing is so much better than ours. And so if that's you, if you're struggling, I want to encourage you to come forward and receive prayer. If you're struggling with, with impatience for an answer that you have been asking God for, I want to encourage you to come forward and pray. And finally, if you're impatient for results, maybe for you it's not a matter of waiting to see if this thing works and kind of along the same, uh, the same lines as the last thing. You just want to know that God is in the middle of your struggle. I want to encourage you to come forward and pray. We want to pray with you. Because friends, we can't do this by ourselves. We really can't. I mean, by the grace of God, he gives us the Holy Spirit, but we need each other. There is just something in the power of somebody putting their hand on your shoulder saying, it's gonna be okay, you're not alone. Let me pray with you, let me pray for you. So I don't want you to miss that opportunity if that's something that you need this week. But we're gonna go ahead and pray, we're gonna go ahead and sing. And if that's you, if you need prayer, I wanna encourage you, you're welcome to come forward at any time and you'll receive prayer. So let's pray. Father. As we come before you. God, I want to thank you that you're a patient God. I want to thank you for your patience with us. Because God, sometimes we're ignorant, sometimes we're straight up rebellious, and yet you have so much grace and so much mercy and so much love for us that we can barely comprehend. Father, for all of our impatience, I pray first that you would forgive us. God, forgive us for going our own way, forgiving us for, for failing to believe that you will show up for us at the right time. God, forgive us for trying to make things happen. Forgive us for the holes that we dig ourselves in because we just want to see, to see things happen in our lives. Forgive us for not waiting on you. And Father, as we wait, I pray that you would draw near to us. God, make your presence so real to us in as tangible of a way as you see fit to make it, whether it's through a word, whether it's through a hug, whether it's through an encouragement, whatever it is, Father, make your presence known to us and make it real to us. God, give us the strength to persevere. God, we think of people in the world who, uh, who experience such intense persecution and suffering that we can't even totally get our heads around. But at the same time, Lord, we have our own struggles here. And we know that you see those things and that you know where we are. And we just ask for your help. We just ask for our help. Nothing more I can say, God, than help. Please help. Please draw near to us. We need you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.